So uh, last week, Pastor Ron introduced a series that we'll be going through for the next couple of weeks, next couple of weeks, which seeks to focus on walking with others in wisdom and love. Now, there's a verse in Scripture, uh, John 13, 34 through 35, that says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So again, our, our hope with these lessons is that it would serve as a practical guidance for loving your brothers and sisters in Christ here at the church. Not to say that you guys aren't already loving each other, although some of you can use a little tune-up. Uh, but the goal is not simply to love them on terms created on your own taste, created by your own thoughts, but to love them like it says in that verse, John 13, 34, where it says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So those were the words of Jesus Christ, and that's what we want to follow. So our goal is this, to love each other the way that Christ loved us. We also have with us in our Bibles, right, records of the early church from the apostles who were directly commi uh, commissioned by Christ himself. So we see how that's modeled out. And what we see in the early church was a community that gathered regularly, devoted themselves to the apostolic teaching, had all things in common and met the needs of each other. And throughout Paul's letters, we see moments of mutual edification. We see in Galatians 6, 2, a command for the church to bear with one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Another verse, James 5, 16, it talks about confessing your sins to one another and praying for one another that you may be healed. So in other words, loving each other from a biblical perspective is a lot more than just being really nice to each other <laughs> when we come to church. So my hopes is that through the next couple of weeks, we can get some of these issues out and, inform, uh, and be informed on how the Word of God addresses them. Now this study will be divided in two parts. The two parts are, ca are categories that speak to our human condition. So you'll see even on the top where the title is, needy and needed. So category number one is that we are all needy, okay? And category number two is that we are needed. So there's this aspect of we need of the body, and the other aspect is that the body needs us, right? So it's not only that we ought to receive, but that we are called to give as well. A Christ, as Christians, we are both needy and needed. We are interdependent with each other. And again, we are fully dependent on God. So this is how God designed his church to function. Last week, we started under category one, and we're going to continue on uh, category number one uh, for a couple of weeks. And then we'll get into category number two. So under category number one, which is needy, that's where we're going to be today, uh, I want to specifically talk about the subject of our hearts. Uh, and the title for today's lesson is, Our Hearts Are Busy. Now, why? Why this topic, Our Hearts Are Busy? In the Bible, the heart is often described as the root of the person. Okay? And with that said, I think that one of the most, the, the common reasons why many Christians have trouble with loving their church, or, or even deciding to commit to a local church, is people problems. And the reality is that it is hard for us as people to deal with other people. Can I get an amen? amen? 
Okay. Now, how ironic, isn't it? Isn't it ironic that out of all creatures in the world, some of us may find more comfort uh, being with our pets at home than uh, being with other humans? And I understand how that, that can be. I understand the reality. Humans are messy. Humans are complicated. Humans are emotional. Ooh. Uh, they hear one thing and interpret it as something else. They have the tendency to misunderstand others or hear what they want to hear when you say something. They project their own objections and insecurities on others. So how can we do church with people? Can't I do church with animals? With Reverend Pig and uh, Deacon Sheep? We must understand an important foundational truth. That if you're born again, this is if, if you're a Christian, if you're born again, the church of Christ, the assembly of God's saved people, the elect of God gathered, right? Forever will be inescapable. So, it's like uh, when you join a club or whatever the case may be, you sign the contract, you didn't read the bottom line. The bottom line is, uh, what, the moment you became a Christian, there really isn't any running away from the church. It's over. You belong to the church and it's inescapable. So those days when you feel like you need a break, uh, you're just doing yourself a disfavor. And what I mean by break is you want to break away from the church. Uh, we all need breaks, but uh, breaking away from the church, that's inescapable. You can't do that. In fact, you're called to the church. And a version of church life where you uh, join in and you receive the preached word and then you go back to your pets is actually imaginary. It's not church at all. Church life is walking with others in faith, in love, and in wisdom, side by side. And the heart is one obstacle that must be understood biblically if we are to come alongside each other. Right? We have to understand the heart. Um, and, and again, we're called to help fulfill the spiritual needs of other, others in the body of Christ and, and also receive those gifts to us um, as well. So again, in this discussion, I'm going to divide it in three points. And you'll see in your paper, I divided it in three points. Point number one is the nature of the heart. So we're going to talk about um, how the heart functions, you know, what to expect from the heart, what the nature of the heart is. Number two is the fruit of the heart. Okay, so we'll talk about what comes out of the heart, uh, what is produced out of the heart, and so on and so forth. And point number three is the medicine for the heart. Okay, so let's look at point number one. Point number one, the nature of the heart. So ever since the fall in Genesis 3, all of mankind struggle with a sinful nature that finds its roots deep inside the heart. Now I want us to look at a few passages in Scripture that describe the nature of our heart. So turn to Jeremiah 17.9. Actually, I'm going to put it up at the PowerPoint. So if you don't have your Bible, you can look up. Jeremiah 17.9. Can I get a volunteer to read that? Amen. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So this really speaks to all the different places that our heart tends to take us, right? 
like I mentioned before, the struggle when we come alongside others in love is trying to undo all the deception that is created in the hearts of men. Think about the last time you tried to come alongside someone, maybe a family member or coworker. <clears throat> Isn't it true that even after a clear presentation and explanation of the gospel, you can't seem to take them away from what their hearts already inclined to? Has that ever happened to you? <clears throat> it is almost as if their heart wants what it wants, and it seems that we are powerless to change it. <clears throat> I had an incident where I walked through the Ten Commandments with a friend, and I couldn't get him to admit that he has broken at least one of the Ten Commandments. He thought he mastered them all. But he couldn't get his heart to confess. <clears throat> He was in such denial that by the look of his face, it almost seemed that he believed his own lie. And this was shocking to me, but this was proof that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Now, this condition of the heart is not only a result of Adam's sin in Genesis 3, it's also a result of our own doing as well. <clears throat> in other words, none of us are to say, Oh, Adam, it is because of you, our federal head, that I sin from my heart and my actions. Now, although there is some truth in that, we see in Romans 5 that not only we were condemned because of our union with Adam, but also in our active participation with Adam. <clears throat> in other words, we were born in sin, but when we commit actual sin, we do it from our own will and desire. So there is a weight of responsibility on each and every one of us when we sin. Let's look at a passage, Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, again, this is Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because what? All sinned. So again, in this verse, we see uh, where our sinful nature comes from. We see it, it comes from that one man, Adam, and also our own guilt, our own personal uh, participation in sin, where it says, and so death spread to all men because all men, I mean, because all sinned. So again, this is the kind of heart that we have to deal with when we attempt to love others and walk with others in wisdom and love. We all have a sinful nature. Everyone that we help and come alongside with have a sinful nature. Not only do they have a sinful nature because of their union with Adam, but because they themselves have committed sin. Now let's look at another aspect of the heart. Turn to Romans 1, 20 through 21. Romans 1, 20 through 21. Can someone read that passage? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were dark. Thanks, Lloyd. Yeah, so you see here in this passage, although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts, again, you see the hearts there, were darkened. Now, <clears throat> This passage should be a prerequisite for understanding the human condition. 
So, like good Christians that you are, uh, before you attempt to help anyone with counsel or advice, it should already be a presupposition in your mind what we see here in this passage. Okay? This passage shows the default condition of man's heart after the fall happened in Genesis 3. So we see here that God has revealed himself to every single living person on the planet and has, clear, and has clearly been perceived throughout creation. I'm sorry, has clearly perceived through creation. So in other words, creation reveals him and everyone knows him through that. Everyone has witnessed him through that. However, because we love sin so much, we, and I say humans, we as mankind, have spent every minute and hour of our lives suppressing this truth in hopes to escape the holiness of God, which has ultimately led to what you see here, the futility of our thinking and the darkening of our hearts. And we've been doing this since the day that we were born. This is the human condition. Now, again, keep in mind that we, the, the theme is helping others, right? Pretend that you're a doctor. As you come alongside a patient in all love and wisdom, you have a desire to help and guide them. And this is, again, you're a doctor, so this is what you're called to do. And you tell your patient, okay, let me pull out your medical record here so that I can better assist you. And as you pulled out that folder, you begin to read their medical history. And it reads, okay, you look at it, you open it up, and it says, uh, okay, patient, right? It says his name, fill in the blank. Patient has known of God Almighty, right? We see that here. He's, he's already seen. It says, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. God has shown it to him. So you read it. It says, patient has known of God Almighty. Since a child, right, patient has viewed and clearly perceived God Almighty's invisible attributes, specifically his eternal power and divine nature in the things that have been made by God. And you look at that as a doctor and you say, okay, good, right? That's his medical history. And you say, wow, this is good, okay. But then you look further and you read in his medical history a second part of the patient's medical record. And what it says almost knocks you off your chair. And you're reading it, and it's worse than cancer, right? It says, although patient knew God, he did not honor him as God or gave thanks to him, but became futile in his thinking and his foolish heart darkened. And so you look at it and say, okay, this is bad. This guy has a sickness. You pull out more from the folder and you pull out x-rays and you see scanned pictures of his heart, black and stony, Right? So again, I hope that illustration stays in our head and we're reminded that when we deal with people, this is their medical background. This is their background. And again, as doctors, you know, going along with the uh, illustration, we too have the same medical history. Loving and coming alongside others is our calling. And this means that we are not to be so quickly discouraged the moment we face friction with people. Why? Because we've read their medical history. We read their medical history. Christians, we are called into Christ's church and should never give up gathering with others in the body of Christ regularly. Again, this speaks to that issue too as well. When we come to church, sometimes we'll get discouraged because of people problems, right? It's hard to deal with people. But knowing this, this medical history according to Scripture should inform us, should help us to say, okay, well... I, 
I guess we're all coming from the same place. I know that being at home, right, with your pets, is a lot easier, especially when humans have the kind of default condition of sin that we just spoke about in that record. But again, we as Christians should not be surprised when we face difficulties with dealing with people. Uh, especially knowing what we know about the nature of the heart um, from God's word. Now what helps is being reminded that what we read in Romans 1 is also part of our own medical history and through Christ we have been forgiven of it and we ourselves are fighting against it by the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. So this shows us our own neediness, right? The subtopic uh, is uh, being needy. This shows us our own neediness and should motivate us to bear with others who share the same sinful background as the rest of mankind. Uh, so this should, this should cause us to endure and to stick with our church uh, because uh, it shouldn't surprise us, right? Okay, let's look at point number two. <clears throat> point number two is the fruit of the heart. Okay, we talked about the nature of the heart. Let's talk about the fruit of the heart, what comes out of the heart. <clears throat> now, uh, it's tough to picture something you can't see, right? Things that are invisible. And one thing you can't see is the heart of man. You can't see it, right? You can't see my heart. In our culture, it's very popular for people to say things like, hey, only God can judge me, right? You see it on people's tagline on Facebook. You see it as their tagline on Twitter, right? Only God can judge me. You sometimes see it tattooed on the arms of, of people or on the backs of people. Only God can judge me. And you don't even have to be a Christian for that phrase to somehow serve your interest. Uh, if you think about it, it seems kind of pious, right? So if you don't really go to church, only God can judge me sort of puts a balance to your life. Placing God as a greater judge over other people's opinion, only God can judge me. While at the same time the statement is used as a preventative tool to push away people pointing out your sin at the same time, so it serves a double purpose sometimes, only God can judge me. <clears throat> In my opinion, <clears throat> the statement, only God can judge me, ought to actually bring terror and fear because the reality is that one day God actually will. Uh, and apart from Christ, there is no hope. But going back to the topic of uh, the fruit of the heart, although you can't see a person's heart, it will always find a way to express itself. The Bible, the Bible provides us with images and analogies that describe the heart. So some analogies are like fountain head, right? You'll see in scriptures where your heart is sort of described as a fountain head or a body of water, a well, a tree, and a treasure chest. Let's look at these verses. So as a, as a fountain head, you'll see the heart described within just the whole idea of a fountain um, or a body of water where all other streams of water flow out from. Let's look at Proverbs 4.23. Can someone read that? Okay, so you see the, the heart there, um, keeping your heart with all vigilance, for from it froze, uh, flows springs of life. Uh, how about the next verse, John 7.38. Okay, so you see again the same thing. Uh, 
going on. Whoever believes in me, again, this is a heart, a faith issue, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So I like to picture it as the source where all other streams flow out from. Think about just some of the things that come out of us, right? And the heart is really where, where the origin is found. <clears throat> How about a well? A well. Let's look at another verse that describes the heart like a well. Someone read uh, Proverbs 25. Okay, so you see that picture? The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, sort of like a well. But a man of understanding will draw it out. I guess this would be our job, right? As we model Christ's wisdom in drawing out the intentions of the heart with his word, we use his word to draw the intentions of the heart out as we seek to help others when we walk by them in the faith. <clears throat> That's another example there. Here's uh, another verse. I don't know if you can see it. Uh, this describes it sort of like a tree. Someone read Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord, Cursed the man who trusts in man, who makes his flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert, shall not see any to come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, uninhabited salt. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out the roots by the stream. Amen. So, so again, this aspect of trusting in the Lord that you see here in the passage uh, is, is the heart theme. Again, trusting in the Lord, you see where the heart takes place there. Again, those with such hearts are described in this verse as either a shrub in the desert, dry and dead, or like a tree planted by water that's flourishing. Okay, so again, you see where uh, the heart uh, plays a role in what, whether life is produced through the body or death. Another, another way of looking at it is as a treasure chest. <clears throat> Here's another verse, Proverbs 4, 20 through 21. Someone want to take that? My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my saying. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Yeah, so here we see an expression that describes the heart as a place to keep storage of words, sayings, or anything meaningful. Right, right. So we keep it in our hearts. Amen. The, the writer of the Proverbs uses this form of description as a way of saying, hold my words dear to you, right? That's what, that's what the heart does. Hold it in your inner being, namely your heart. And that's a way that our heart works, right? We keep, we store things in it. Um, another verse that's probably more common, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Anyone want to read that? So again, you see this idea of laying up treasure is <clears throat> synonymous to placing your affections on, right? Uh, in other words, setting your heart uh, to attribute worth to something. Uh, here, 
Jesus shows us that our hearts should rest on that which uh, hearts should not rest on that that which rusts or moss will destroy, but rather setting on those things that are uh, eternal, have eternal value. This shows our hearts are like a treasure chest, constantly looking for what to store up. And with that, with that said, we see that the Bible does offer many analogies that help describe the heart and how it functions. Regardless of whether we can't see a person's heart, your heart will always bear fruit of what's inside it. Okay, so we're always going to see, according to your actions, according to the way you're living, the way that you respond, um, what you truly treasure. Luke says in Luke 6, 5, I'm sorry, 6, 45, I'll go ahead and read it. It says, the good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, what does it say? It produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, see the word treasure there, again, that's the heart theme, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So again, whether good or bad, from what, what we say to what we do, it is all an extension from the heart. Which brings me to my last point. Look at the last point. The medicine for the heart. When walking alongside others in the faith, the big temptation is to want to see quick and immediate results. So I know a lot of us have uh, family members or friends that we want to see come to Christ. Um, And the big temptation is like, man, I just want to have that one conversation that they fall on their knees and a dove flies from heaven above their head. And that's a big temptation. Even, even, even when it comes to helping others here at the church, we want to see immediate change, right? And in good faith, we want to help others change more into the likeness of Christ. And therefore, we often press on others to stop doing wrong, stop doing this, stop living this lifestyle, or, and start doing right. So we want to take them from um, bad living to good living, whatever the case may be. Stop doing this and stop doing that. Um, and we, we do this because we, we are tempted to see them change immediately. But, like we discussed, if the actions and deeds, right, the things that they do in their life, are merely an extension of the heart, then where should our attention be? Where should our focus be at? What's the answer? The heart, right? <clears throat> the heart is what needs to be changed. Doctors, any doctors here? Doctors, if your sick patient is looking pale and colorless, don't apply color dye on his skin. Your patient might need to be checked on the inside, right? Likewise, when we help our brothers and sisters in Christ, helping and coming alongside others in the face, uh, in the faith, we can know that it is always a matter of the heart, always a matter of the heart, uh, to try to have them change their uh, behavior doesn't actually do anything in the heart. Look at, uh, look at Luke 6, 43 through 44. Someone want to read that section there? Pretty clear, right? For no good tree bears bad fruit, and again, does a bad tree bear good fruit. Now, here's an illustration that will go along with that. Uh, 
Imagine that we here at Faith Baptist uh, Church, we decide to have an apple tree in the back, <laughs> growing by our parking lot. We plant it. It's a beautiful tree. It grows up to be a nice, pretty apple tree. And each year it grows apples. But after, we start, after a while, we start noticing that the apples are growing brown, wrinkled, and pulpy. So we get the squad together, right? We get uh, me, Ron, Arnie, Pastor Rick, uh, Desmond, Jonathan, all of us together. Pastor, Pastor Jack, right. And we come up with a master plan. So next Sunday, right, you look out the window and you see me with scissors, right? You see me with a ladder, a bucket of nice and shiny apples from Publix. And, 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 then, and you say, wait, something's odd about that because you see me with a staple gun. <laughs> you have to that yeah, you don't staple anything to it. All right. Right. And you watch me, right? You watch me as I carefully cut off the bad apples, right? And staple the beautiful apples to the tree. And I turn around and say to you all, how do you like them apples? And... Uh, and, 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 now you, and now you all come out, right, and ask me what I'm doing, and I turn around, and I'm ready to, you know, receive the applaud, applause. And I say, ladies and gentlemen, I fixed our tree. And I wait, no applause, no one's clapping. Why isn't anyone clapping? Did I not fix the tree? Did I? No, I did not fix the tree. Right. Right. You don't want to staple like fruits. Like you. Real that's right. That's that is correct. So, I did not fix the tree by stapling apples to it. And it should be clear that if the tree produces bad apples, there is something wrong with the system of the tree right down at its very roots. And stapling good apples won't solve that problem. Likewise, helping other people change is not merely a behavior problem. Ultimately, right? but a heart problem at its core. And this is why church leaders who have placed their emphasis on human methods of behavior modification will never be successful in effectively changing people. For example, placing pressure and going around with a list, making sure that each member is evangelizing, attending each service, serving at uh, 12 ministries, not watching secular music, I mean, secular movies or listening to secular music. Those things do not actually change the heart of men. They never did, and they won't. Change must begin at the heart. So what is the medicine of change? Well, I want to point you to Ephesians 1, 16 through 17. Ephesians 1, 16 through 17. Can someone read that passage? Amen. So if you pay close attention, you see how Paul prays in this letter, saying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In other words, if you want to help people, it begins with the revelation of the knowledge of God. 
specifically in the face of Jesus Christ. People need the gospel. People need to understand the gospel. Not, and the, thing, the funny thing is the gospel is not just Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, although it is, technically, but the gospel is seen throughout the whole Bible. In other words, when you study the Old Testament or study any other passage of the scripture, you're, you're not necessarily steering away from you know, the gospel message. All of it ties into this message about Christ. And the revelation of the knowledge of him is just that. People need to know the Bible. People need to know the scriptures. And that itself is life-changing. That itself is the medicine for the heart. Here's another verse. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. Someone want to read that passage? For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and the inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. Amen. So you see clearly in 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, right? Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend all the, all the saints, what is the breadth, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Again, this understanding, this soaking yourself in Christ-centered knowledge and understanding from the scriptures. Uh, this is where you uh, receive strength and power through his spirit in your inner being. Now notice that Paul understands here that the deepest need is the heart, right? But more importantly, our deepest need of our heart is God himself uh, and the knowledge of him in the face of Jesus Christ. This means that if we want to if we, if we help and we want to receive help, we must always be aiming for this. Spiritual maturity in the word, filling your heart with the word, that's the best thing you can do for helping others and coming alongside others. Um, not trying to figure out what's the best tactic or what's the best way to do it, as, a, uh, as opposed to soaking yourself with the knowledge of God, soaking yourself with the word of God, prayer, um, and, and, and worship in Christ, is where you, God would place you most useful in a community. The word of God has the ability to penetrate deep enough, in, deep enough into the heart of a person. The word of God has the ability to help a person see his or her own sin. That's why we got to continuously depend on the word of God as the primary tool of helping others. The word of God is able to reveal Christ, which leads to changed hearts and, uh, again, results in changed lives. So again, the word of God is, is, is the primary tool. Conclusion. As we come alongside others, seeking to walk with others in wisdom and love, let us remember first the nature of man's heart. Remember what we spoke about, what, what, where they come from, where we all come from when it comes to the nature of man's heart. Understanding its deceitfulness. This would cause us to be patient with others while we help them bring their sin to light. Likewise, others can help us by helping reveal the things that are in our own hearts and bringing them out to light as well. Let us remember, secondly, that although we can't see the heart of others, 
Our hearts are like a fountainhead, a well, a treasure chest, or even a tree. And what bears out of us is the extension of our hearts. But any problem or any issue is always a heart problem. And thirdly, finally, what we need ultimately is a heart change. Not only for salvation, but even in our growth and sanctification. God's word through the Holy Spirit is the only thing that can penetrate deep enough to reach the heart and make actual, effectual change. So let, let's focus our attention on that. Um, and I close by saying I pray that this was helpful in showing our neediness and interdependence towards each other and full neediness and dependence on God as we deal with this important subject of the topic of the heart, which will continue on further throughout the uh, lessons that are, that are coming. So, amen? Any questions, by the way? Thank you, sister. Questions, comments? Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time as we discuss the topic of the heart. Uh, This is something that is... Uh, basic and foundational, Lord, and um, some of us may know this stuff, uh, but Lord, it's, it's a good reminder, Lord, as we try to help other people and try to serve the church and also be served knowing that we too are very needy people and we are fully dependent on you and we are dependent on the body as well, that before anything, Lord, we have a background where uh, before you came and shone light into our hearts, Lord, we too had hard hearts. So, Lord, I pray that we would be reminded of this as we attempt to serve each other and to help each other and come alongside each other, uh, knowing that this is a struggle for ourselves, Lord, as we try to put to death the things of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh, and the tendencies of the heart. We know that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can understand it fully? We know that you can, Lord, and we trust in you and your word that if anyone has the answers to the problem of our heart, it is you. And we know that you've solved it through the work of Christ. So with that said, help us to apply this medicine of Christ in our own lives first and others as we um, attempt to serve your body in love, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys.